Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, film study with Ken McCusick. We are still discussing uh, the game from this past Thursday over the Dolphins, a 40-0 win. A little different than we normally do it because of the Thursday game. We're talking to about the offense now four days after the play, which means we're going to come at it at a slightly different angle. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm, I'm doing well. I mean, I missed the Ravens on Sunday, but that's what you get when you – do Thursday way better that they had a huge win um, than than missing them after a big loss. Yeah, it really is. And and Sunday can be so frustrating when there's no Ravens games because you're rooting for a whole bunch of other AFC teams to lose. They tend to be above average teams because they're the other playoff contenders, and that doesn't often go well. I just I don't know how many days I've tried to root against the Steelers when they, you know not that my rooting has any impact on it, but but you know you're you're, you're hoping that the Steelers lose and they don't on Sunday and just puts you in a foul mood. Right. Well, two teams did beat the Steelers on Sunday, the Houston Astros and L.A. Dodgers, because baseball <laughs> got a higher Sunday night rating than Sunday night football. And what a ball game that was, huh? And I mean, no, every 
these games, this series, this, these playoffs have been unbelievable with these teams. But it's rare that baseball beats football in, uh, in TV viewership. So that, I found that very interesting when we've been talking a lot about uh, baseball being a regional sport. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was last night's game was the highest non-elimination game in baseball history for win probability average and and what that win probability added i should say so yeah it's a total amount of back and forth changes is what that's measuring effectively so how many games were exchanged in the course of one game and it's something like six and a half last night and it was it was the largest of any uh sorry for for the series it was the largest of any not uh non um elimination game wow and i i that that also added to the TV viewership as you would mm-hmm. constantly get notifications on whatever news app you had that this game's out of control, this game's back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. It uh, compels you to turn it on. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, 30 years ago, this game would have been 4 nothing earlier. It could have lost viewership. Right. But, you know, today with social media, you know, it, it, it regains it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you know what? Tomorrow, with Tuesday night, with the chance, with, is an elimination game. Um, and a World Series win opportunity for the Astros. So that's going to be big viewers, big numbers as well. Mm-hmm. So this is a little weird. For, talking to you four days after a, uh, a Ravens game because of how the schedule worked out with this Thursday game. Um, it means that we've had a chance that for the coaches to come out and speak. For I think if we talked about this the day after the game, we would have been really concerned about Flacco. Now we're four days later. Harbaugh, Harbaugh has came out and spoke. Um, has before we get to Harbaugh and Flacco, has the NFL came out with any fines or anything yet from that hit? I, I have not heard, and I don't know what day those typically come out. But my guess is they would typically come out on a Monday or Tuesday after the Sunday game. So okay. I'm not sure if that means. So they even come though out on, even though it's a Thursday game, they they hold off. Be my guess. Gotcha. So then, what did Harbaugh have to say today about Flacco? So Harbaugh, the news is shockingly good, said Flacco was showing zero concussion symptoms and may return versus the Titans. So uh, I think the exact words might have been pretty good chance to play against the Titans. Uh, I'm not completely uh, fearless at this point, but uh, that certainly sounds a lot better than I was expecting. Yeah, no, and I think that's, um, that's the, the 10 days. I think it's 10 days between a Thursday and a Sunday game. Mm-hmm. That definitely goes into Joe Flacco's favor. Mm-hmm. Um, without really digging into the hit, the Ravens did come out and say that they want a kind of rule review about how to handle quarterback sliding and everything. Um, do you think he slid too late? No, I, I didn't. I thought that's the typical point at which these helmet-to-helmet hit gets, hits get called. Uh, I did think Alonzo had a chance to do something differently. I was interested to hear that Mosley said they're taught to go for the quarterback's head at that point so that you force the slide. Yeah. Right. And well, I also heard you go for the head because then you can that's the that's the part of the body you can hop over because that's going to slide past. Mm-hmm. Where when you go for the head and then you buckle down and go down shoulder down, that's I think um not the standard protocol. Right. In that situation. Um, it was ugly, and it was tough to watch. My personal opinion is that once the quarterback leaves the quarterback uh, the pocket, I think he should be treated like any other player. But in the NFL and where the quarterbacks are the stars, the NFL 
has enough quarterbacks going down already that they, of course, don't want this. Right. And, and, and it makes a lot of business sense to, to have not backup quarterbacks in the game. The, 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 the starting quarterbacks have enough trouble versus today's defenses to get anything done. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a, a year of some pretty lousy offensive football, and, uh, and to have quarterbacks go down would not be a good thing. Right. Um, but, all right, so Joe should be back for the Titans. We're hopeful, hopeful of that. Um, I think I think it's safe to say that Mike Wallace should be back for the Titans as well, right? He oh, I, I don't know protocol. if that's safe or not. That's I don't not... know where he – I mean, okay. honestly, I have no idea where he is in the, in the concussion Okay, protocol. so there's been and no I talk did, of that. Didn't hear an update. Okay, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. When it it looked like Joe's hit was so much worse. Um, now, one other guy is Danny Woodhead. We've been anticipating that around the bye week he'd be coming back. How's he looking? Well, you know, the news on him was good today too. Is that he's ready to start practicing again and may do so this week. In which case, he could he could return for the. Uh, I guess he has three weeks to return, but he certainly could return for the Green Bay game after the bye, and that would give the Ravens two players who could return at that point. I don't believe Kennedy can return before, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but but Maurice Kennedy and, and Danny Woodhead, if they both return, or actually if they're both designated, if they both start practicing, they use up the two IRDTR spots. Uh, Kennedy already has, so if Woodhead does, that's the only one they got left. I do anticipate that to happen, and I think they'll both be back. All right, so Woodhead, I think Raven fans will be excited about Woodhead being back. We were kind mm-hmm. of excited to add him to the team this offseason as another veteran guy in there that could uh, make some moves. He looked good in the one play or whatever that we saw him at before he got hurt. One drive. But, right, one drive. But that's going to end up with a roster problem because we've seen a lot of running backs. How, how, that's right. how do you think they're going to handle this? Yeah, well, it's a good question. I mean, they have now uh, five guys they've got to really think about right now. And at this point... Collins is clearly the star of the running back group, and, and Harbaugh alluded to that today, saying that he expected to see an increased role, and he was happy with his development as a pass blocker, and this and that. I mean, this is a guy three weeks ago he was talking about, if he can't hold on to the football, he's not going to be here kind of thing. So Collins is clearly the number one at this point. Um, Woodhead, if he returns, is the number one as far as a pass-catching box. I'd expect him to be the third down guy. Allen, while he has you know, filled the bill, done what they needed him to do, particularly in the fourth quarter of some games, like at Oakland. He's he's not a, a high yards per touch guy. He's been a very low yards per touch guy, uh, which does not bode well for him. West fumbled a couple times early in the year, and I just don't know where he is right now in terms of either coming back or potentially being released if he's uh, if he's around. Because they, they essentially, they really have to cut one and probably two of those backs. So I think Rainey goes, and then they've got to kind of decide whether or not they they let somebody like West uh, go to IR or, or be released or whatever it would be. Right, because you're right. When you, Buck Allen has kind of been a little bit of a workhorse with his team, and he's the goal line guy when they're they're in there tight. Mm-hmm. He's the guy they're pushing through, where Collins is the guy who runs 30 yards in the backfield to go get you 10, but every now and mm-hmm. then breaks one. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be tough on a, a veteran like Rainey who came here and made an impact on special teams th- that this roster's really not going to probably be able to carry him for the season. Right. Well, he's he's been valuable there, and he was valuable on some drives. He had a nice play at the end of a half, 
to 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 get a, a first bound first down out of bounds. But what I'd say about Bobby Rainey is he'll be available if we need him again later. He'll be available. So uh, you know he, he, maybe they took were a little bit cavalier with that with Tony Bergstrom, but they but they will probably have the ability to resign him if they need him in the playoffs. Say. Right, and then that's a positive for the Ravens. It's a negative for Bobby Rainey, who will mm-hmm. be sitting at home for a few weeks and kind of when he gets the call, all right, I'll come on back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's all. Uh, that's some stuff, like you were saying last week, if the Ravens can get through this game in Tennessee, some stuff to be positive about and kind of get a little get a little excited. I, I mean, I would. I think that offensively there some things are coming together. The offensive line is playing reasonably well as a unit. And the running game seems to be working right now. I just hope that's not completely opponent dependent, and we go to Tennessee and and see that it's a uh, not the same game again. Uh, but you know, this is this is a team that seems to be able to move the ball just enough on offense to let the defense dominate the game the way they did against Miami, the way they did against Oakland, the way they did against Cleveland and Cincinnati. All right, um, we only have seven linemen right now on the team and I want to get to that but first before we get into that and this might overlap a little bit with that is that the trade deadline is tomorrow at 4 p.m. as we record Mm -hmm. this on Monday night the Ravens have had a lot of injuries they haven't gone out and grabbed much in in veteran people to plug these holes and stuff do you see them doing anything to in the next 24 hours well, it's a real question. I mean, the one guy that's that's out there that people, apparently is on the block because of some comments he made is T.Y. Hilton. And, uh, you know, he could be a guy that the, the Colts decide they, they got to get rid of at this point. He's having a good year. He's averaging 18 yards a catch. And let me just look at what I got here. Yeah, 18 yards. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, 18.2 per catch. He's got 527 receiving yards. Only 29 catches in eight games. But uh, definitely a very dangerous... Uh, player that the Ravens certainly need another weapon. Uh, it's not out of the range of possibility that they would want him. The question is now then, how do you readjust the roster to handle a contract like his? And and you'd have to do probably quite a bit of maneuvering in order to make that work. So let's see if uh, we can find out what he's um, making right now. But uh, but I would just imagine that this is going to require some restructuring to uh to get this done right so, and, yeah, he, and he's also a guy i mean ty hilton's a veteran wide receiver that has experience the ravens aren't going to be the only, only team making the phone call and looking into this that, that's right and they and the there's an enormous dead money hit that the colts would have to take um there's about 14 million in in dead money from the start of this year i got to think about how that actually plays out but the colts have to take a big hit in terms of of dollars and then for the rest of this year he's earning 10 million dollars per year so you got to pay him uh what eight games of that so you're gonna have to pay him five million and that's going to take some restructuring then next year he's going to earn 13 million so uh, as to whether or not the the ravens could really make that work i don't think i don't think it makes a lot of sense and I, i wouldn't I don't think I'd make the move that would spend $5 million of cap from future years for this Ravens team. Okay. So, right. So you're saying, it's, as though it would help now, it's not a long-term It's not a long-term solution. They, they might even have to release him after the season, honestly, given the, the, the nature of the contract, or, or try and restructure it in a way that Hilton might or might not like. Yeah. Right. The good news is his controversial comments were not uh, – they weren't 
a, what you would call a big deal. It was about his teammates, and it was in-house comments about the offensive line not blocking. Um, I think our offensive line is a little better than the Colts, so maybe he'd uh, keep a little quiet, and I think he learned his lesson as far as you don't, sure you don't speak so. bad about your own team. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. I mean, the, it was the public nature of those comments that was really the problem. That, yeah, that, you know, but you know how it gets. Right now when I hear someone's in trouble for a public comment, I expect the worst because it seems like right. every week there's something new. But speaking of offensive linemen, let's go into the Ravens offensive linemen, and we only have seven. That's yeah. not good if we have an injury. No, and the, the Redskins certainly found this out. Their situation, just horrible. They, uh, they had uh, signed Tony Bergstrom and Alex Quangio off the Ravens practice squad. Okay, so Bergstrom was, a, was the Ravens had put on the street for the second time in two weeks, and the, and the Redskins scarfed him up. And, and Quangio they, they had on the practice squad, and the Redskins signed him. And they also signed Orlando Franklin, who's been sitting out, of the, out there this whole time, a right tackle who's been available, and no one signed him. So you know he's not any good. Uh, either that or he wants an extraordinary amount of money, but it's probably he's not any good. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, they signed all three of those guys. And by the end of the, the uh, game, the Redskins had a very um, uh, street offensive line in that game. So anyway, the Ra- by, by, by street offensive line, you mean it's guys off the practice squad. Yeah, I don't mean I don't mean some urban dictionary definition of street in this no, case. No, I, I mean, mean it's not yeah. it's not a, a team with a lot of grit. It's it's no. the practice squad guys, the guys you wouldn't want out there. Yeah, grocery baggers. How about that? They had a, a bunch of people who would not normally be playing football this time of year. Right. Or certainly in game one. How about that? They wouldn't be playing the first game of the year. All right. Um, we saw this week, and we've seen it in other weeks, the Ravens lining up in different formats. So uh, let's go through a little bit of what these formats mean. And this is the whole – this is where Ken gets to teach Josh football terminology. So let's start with jumbo. What is a jumbo oh. set? Okay, well, jumbo set is, is fairly easy to explain. Usually it means six offensive linemen. It's often used in goal line situations where you bring in an extra line on the edge. It can be used in other short yardage positions on other sides, other parts of the field where you bring in a sixth lineman. Usually you have your standard offensive line set, and then you add a sixth lineman on either the left or right side. And that's what all the Ravens have done so far with this. Um, the, the Ravens had a super jumbo set they used to use with Elodie Nada when they bring in an extra lineman and Nada, have seven enormous guys, plus a fullback, plus a tight end, and then they would run you know, some stretch play at the goal line with that. But, uh, but this, the regular jumbo set was very effective, and Boanko, as we'll get to, had a, had a really good day of blocking. Um, in, uh, in terms of yardage in this game, the jumbo set was just mediocre. They, they had seven snaps out of it for 21 yards. Now, remember, some of those are near the goal line, so you can't gain as many yards. Your expectation of yards is lower. They only had three yards per play, which is not terrible. Passed only once out of that. That was the two-yard touchdown pass to Watson. So overall, if you gain three yards per play in your jumbo sets, it's probably a pretty good thing since you're doing it mostly on short yardage plays. All right, so jumbo set, you're bringing in the big guys to try to push for just that little bit that you need. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right. That's a good way of thinking. All right, what about an unbalanced lineup? Okay, well, the Ravens also used an unbalanced line for the first time nine times in this game, so that's quite a lot. Um, and they, they've, they've used unbalanced might have been nine times the whole season before this game. So it gives you an idea of the relative amount. But in the unbalanced line formations, the Ravens uh, have both tackles on the same side 
and they tuck uh, Austin Howard in that situation, which means they put him on the inside with Stanley on the outside on one side. And then they have the normal guard center guard uh, you know, around the football. And then on one side of that, they put, they put Howard and then Stanley from inside to outside. And Howard's uh, abilities as a run blocker is put to better use there. Probably some people would say Howard should have been a guard, and you know he's had some difficulty with pass blocking this year. But uh, he is still a very powerful run blocker and is extremely useful there. The Ravens just don't really have anybody else who uh, who could play tackle at this point. And and the other thing is that Hurst has played fairly well on the inside, so they don't want to move move Howard inside for that reason. But uh, but they've made good use of him in these in these formations and in terms of getting him help on the outside. Now the unbalanced formation in this game, nine snaps, all runs. So they almost are telling the other team what they're doing. 47 yards, 5.2 per carry in this game. So that's very effective, obviously. Um, it's not going to win you the game in and of itself to have nine plays for 47 yards. But when you're doing that, when you're trying to run out the clock or when you're doing that, when you're trying to get uh, key runs on first down, it's uh, it's quite good. All right, that's all right. Great. So that I got unbalanced. I got jumbo. All right, now here's one. I heard this one on on Thursday night, and uh, it wasn't about the Colts, which is what my first assumption would be. But the <laughs> pony backfield. What is the pony backfield? Okay, so the the pony backfield is is a term that really isn't used all that much, but it involves having two tailbacks in the same backfield formation. And the Ravens used it once earlier this year when they had uh, Allen as a fullback and Collins as the tailback, and they gave the ball to Allen uh, on the front. And that's unusual because Allen would not be normally a guy you'd expect to block. It's just a, it's just a opportunity to get him a little closer to the line of scrimmage and a quicker get-off on short yardage. But the, the punny backfield, a lot of times is run by the Ravens with a split backs in the backfield. So you might, you might pass block with either one if you trust either one of them to do it, and, and the other one might go out for a pass. Okay. All right. Well, th- then all right. that is one that I will be using this Sunday. I'm going to be watching the game with some friends, and I'll just say, hey, look at that pony backfield. There you go. All right. Just make and sure I'll... you're using it correctly, and, and there's not a wise guy around. Uh, right, right. I'm going to make sure that <laughs> Allens and Collins are both back there, and I'm going to say, uh, that's a pony backfield. It mm-hmm. sound really smart in that case. Now, do you uh, ever call out the dime when you're on TV? Uh, I, do, I do not. Well, I'll tell you, it's the easy way to that. Just look to see if Levine is next to Mosley. If you can see Levine either you know, right. threatening the A-gap blitz or next to Mosley, say, oh, they got the dime defense on. Right. And yeah, see, I'm learning a lot doing this podcast. <laughs> and, and it makes me seem a whole lot smarter when I'm just yelling at my TV on a Sunday afternoon for them to catch the ball and throw the ball and, and Flacco uh, yelling at Flacco for holding the ball too long. Uh, <laughs> at least here I've got some stuff that I can say I know what I'm talking about a little bit. All right. All right, uh, let's get into some people, and this is where we break down the linemen. We normally do it earlier in the show, but we've been distracted with other things because we are halfway through the season, and it's hard to believe that we're already halfway through. But uh, let's get down to the linemen, and let's start where we always do with Stanley. So Ronnie Stanley uh, had a not an impossible opponent in this game. Probably I would have expected a slightly better game from him. Uh, came out of C+, had two drive stalling penalties which are really the negatives in this game so he had an illegal formation that negated a 23 yard catch and run by rainey and that was at the end of the first half could have put the ravens in field goal range um, he did have six blocks in level two he had a pancake he made his only pull um, it wasn't a terrible game by any stretch 
But if he played at this at this level every week, it wouldn't be what we're hoping for out of Stanley, who we really want to evolve into a Pro Bowl player in year two. All right. So a C-plus for Stanley. How about Hurst? Okay, so Hurst also a C-plus. Uh, in this case, you know, I, I don't think as badly of it, certainly. Uh, he had, uh, again, not a terrible opponent. He didn't get Sue very often. Sue plays on the inside, but he was mostly opposite Skura for, the, for this game. Uh, what, I, what is interesting about Hurst is that he has now 10 more attempted polls in this game, and he's now attempted 57 polls in eight games. That's, that's over seven per game. I cannot ever remember another Raven lineman pulling as often. And so I've been scoring the offensive line for 10 years now, and I've never, I haven't seen anybody else with that number. Not Yanda, not Grubbs early in their career. Okay. Uh, it's possible that, that back in the days of Jamal Lewis that Benny Anderson or Mulatalo right. or somebody was pulling a lot. But uh, I haven't scored those games, and I, I, I will at some point, but, uh, but we're not there yet. Right. Anyway. And, and it's, either way, it's working for James Hurst. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think in a lot of ways it's revived who he will be as a player going forward. I think he's going to stick at guard. He's going to uh, demonstrate contractual value as a swingman or, or, or create contractual value as a swingman. But he made only half his points on polls the first three games, and since then he's been 24 out of 30 on his um, uh, pull points. So that's truly exceptional and, and something to be really happy about. And it'll help the Ravens with a power run game the rest of the way if they have a guy who really can figure out and, and, and locate the guy to block on a pull. All right. Uh, on last episode, we had our defensive MVPs. And besides the cat, I also had Jensen as one of my defensive MVPs. So besides the big hit <laughs> uh, supporting Flacco, how'd Jensen do? Uh, had a fine game, and, and obviously that, that hit is the kind of thing where he gained a lot of leadership points on the team. And it, there's all all kinds of photos out there where the, he's the CEO of Flacco Defense, or he's the Secret Service. All of a sudden, all very good things. Um, you know, it's it's uh, you, you gain points for different ways with your teammates. I'm sure. You know, some Ben Watson is probably an intellectual leader and and someone who can calm down a young player and really give him advice as a man that makes sense. Jensen is is probably going to lead with physicality. Um, I I I don't know what other you know things are easy. I saw Austin Howard talking to to Wallace on the sideline. I thought that was really leadership. But anyway, this is a a different type of leadership and certainly something that uh, makes Jensen more valuable and more valued by his teammates. But aside from that, he had a great game. I mean, he had only one negative event, which is a one-quarter share of penetrations. That's not much. Had nine blocks in level two, two pancakes. I had four highlight blocks for him. Uh, I think one thing that had been a problem at Minnesota was the low shotgun snaps. He got that cleaned up. And the other thing was he, he drew the initial penalty on Sue, for, who was caught pulling off his helmet, later choking Mallet, and somehow did not get thrown out of the game. I don't know how. But, you know, two unnecessary roughness fouls in the game, in, in the same game that were both fairly flagrant, abusive fouls, not a instant-of-the-moment kind of like, uh, you know, helmet-to-helmet hit might be but these were these were really bad personal fouls and he didn't get thrown out for but jensen did a good job i'm sure he instigated that and he and he picked on one of the most unstable players in the league and sue to to uh to get a foul on so a for him and amazingly it's only his third best game of this year so uh, he's having a he's having a very fine year for the ravens right when sue is a guy who's known for stupid moves like that uh, him with his hand wrapped around the throat of a quarterback is not the picture the NFL wanted out that day. 
No, I, it's not. And I, I'm sure we would have heard about the fines at this point if they'd been announced now, yet. I was looking it up uh, as we were recording, and there's no fine yet. Oh, it's coming. I mean, there's no way he's got, he, he might he might not get a suspension, but he's definitely getting fined for those two personal fouls. No doubt about it. The, the players call it getting a FedEx envelope, but they always are trying to avoid it on the on the day that those come. But they have to sign something, effectively allowing the NFL to take the money out of their paycheck, out of their game check. So uh, uh, you know, it is in, in some ways it's good because it's pre-tax dollars they're getting charged for their uh, uh, their fine. It does matter, believe me, it does. Now you missed. You missed the next day when Ryan Mallett posted a picture on his Instagram of like him quarterback in the Ravens, and the heading was, what makes it even better is that we strangled the Dolphins. <laughs> That's good. So, That's good. Yeah, so he, he, uh, he knew that was the headline for him coming out, is that he was, that he <laughs> was uh, choked by Sue. Um, and I like the picture that you painted of uh, – Benjamin Watson uh, being a different type of leader on the sideline. He wrote that book on fatherhood, so I imagine he's teaching all the Ravens how to be fathers. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's extremely impressive speaker. They have a PSL uh, call they do where he and Weddle were on the same call, and Weddle's an on-field leader. I I know, but it just the, the difference in personality is so great. Watson is this tremendously pulled pulled together family man, and Weddle's Weddle's like kind of a jokester. He comes across almost as immature in these conversations, and that's not the impression we get at all about him as a field general. Right. No, I mean, there's all types of guys in the NFL, and uh, when they're all on the field, they all have they all play for the same purpose and have the same goals. But you're right, off the field, there's so many different personalities. It's fun. Um, how about Skura? He lined okay, up with so- Sue, right? Yeah, he, he lined up against Sue. First of all, his first game back. So he's, he was out the last two weeks, and the Ravens got some, unfortunately, not terrific play out of Illuminor. He was not, not too bad in his first game, but then he really imploded against Minnesota and had a terrible game. Um, so anyway, he's good to get Skura back. And Skura, he had a lengthy struggle with Sue, and Sue beat him a few times. But overall, I'd say his performance was fairly exceptional given his opponent. He has C-plus overall with a large adjustment for opponent, as large as I give, well, within a, a point of the largest I'd ever give anyone for that. Uh, but, but he did a fairly good job. He allowed three pressures to Sue. Uh, he did allow uh, three-quarters of a penetration in total. But uh, I would say it was a quite a fight for Skura, and he did a pretty good job coming out of it with as little damage done by Sue as there was. So uh, a very solid game from him. And if you look at the rest of the season, re- having uh, Skura replace Illuminor and come back to, to hopefully play at the same level the rest of the way uh, gives a lot of hope for this offensive line. That's, that's definitely an improvement. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's the exciting part is as his team gets healthy and improves, if they can build on a win like this Dolphins win, then even though a couple weeks ago we thought this was the worst of the worst and this season was meaningless, uh, it's not yet, and there's there's hope to, for something to play for. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, one more guy, Austin Howard. Okay, so Austin Howard had a tough game, and he was he had maybe the hardest matchup of anybody. He had Cameron Wake, uh, who is an athletic pass rusher and has been very good for the last few years. Um, so he had... Uh, uh, let's see, give up two and a third quarterback hits with a bad thing. He did not give up a sack. Again, Flacco, neither Flacco nor Normallet was sacked in the game. They didn't pass that much. So the two and a third quarterback hits is actually pretty significant for Howard. Uh, he had some missed blocks also, seven of those, and three of those were cases where he got beat, 
and four of those were cases where he moved into level two and didn't make a block. And I need to look at those more carefully, particularly for tackles, because they often can't make a block on the backside of a run play. So Howard uh, was in that position a few times, and, and those are less serious errors than getting beat by somebody, obviously, at the line of scrimmage. So overall, Howard a D, um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, a game with more passing. Perhaps he would have done better, and, uh, and I, I think he's always going to do better if they don't have the elite pass rusher on that side that Miami had. Sure, sure. Well, that that's um, that's unfortunate that he struggled, but at least the Ravens got the win, and now he can build on that and hopefully uh, get better with not such a great guy he's got to block. Um, this is where we get to the mailbag, where you can send in your questions on Twitter, hashtag film study mailbag. Um, and then we try to divide them up, offense, defense. You can do pound, ta- pound sign, film, study, mailbag, <laughs> if you would like. If you're, uh, I don't 50 know. 50 plus. I was going to say, I don't know the age limit, but uh, yeah. if pound sign's what makes sense to you, then go ahead and do it. It's the same when you type it on your computer. Okay. Um, so we're going to start with Rob McDonald, who was watching the game as well on Thursday, like I think everyone was. And he said that during the broadcast, Romo talked about the Ravens' overbalanced O-line. Why was it working so well, and how did Miami stop it? Okay, so Miami didn't really stop it all that well. They had nine carries for 47 yards, as we mentioned, with the unbalanced line. Um, Why was it working well? It emphasizes the ability of Howard to use his run-blocking skills and be protected in that way, I think, would be the the point that I would make about it. Otherwise, you you line up with usually um, uh, either Hurst or... Um, Skura on the outside of the formation, and it's fairly common that you pull from there as well. So you either either pull a guard one way or the other uh, to the strong side or to the weak side. And uh, they did did some of each of those, and uh, I think that was confusing a little bit to them, and they definitely created some some decent yardage opportunities. Okay. Um, At Dustin Cox asks a strange question after a 40-0 win, but uh, he asks... Uh, do you think they should change? They should fire Marty in an attempt to spark the offense for a playoff push. Well, I think my answer right now is no, but I might it might change over the bye. If they if they have a totally imploding effort, um, I, I I don't know what to say about it. But but this in this uh, uh, next week we'll see if the Ravens can really use their power running game to beat a pretty darn good team in Tennessee. And so I want to I want to dovetail that with the next question, which is from Rui. He's from Japan, and so uh, English is not perfect, but but he asked an extremely good question. So he said, "My interest is whether Patrick Ricard is useful for the offense or not. I think fullback is a very important factor for the Ravens' offensive philosophy. Collins is a big is a big success in several games, so fullback is still important. And I basically agree with that. That Patrick Ricard, if if the Ravens, if you're going to go large, go all the way large, and Patrick Ricard at fullback adds a ton of mass to the Ravens' power running attack, as does Hurst when he pulls, and as does having a powerful right side of the line as well. So um, I I think it's – and Nick Boyle would be in addition to that as well. So if you're really going to look to either run the power game or even to uh, run two and three receiver patterns where where you're effectively are max protecting the quarterback, in either case I think Ricard is is a valuable asset there. So good question, Rui. Yeah, and, and in regards to firing your offensive coach to spark the team for a playoff run, 
once you fire your offensive coach, you're assuming you're not going anywhere. Right? You wouldn't fire a coach because that's going to excite your players. Well, they've, they've already done it several times. And, okay, so they won the Super Bowl after they fired Cam Cameron. And Cam oh, okay. Cameron still got a ring. And the, and in 2006, they had that 13-3 and three season when they fired Jim Fassel at mid-year and then Bill right. took over the play and calling. Right. So it's happened It's happened a couple times. All right, I don't Mar- think Marty, happened, let's but. fire you. You're gone. <laughs> we, we need a spark. I, I didn't think it would work that way, but that that works for me. <laughs> Whatever it takes to, to uh, get into the playoffs. All right. Uh, regular contributor Minion Hunter asks, Joe using Cadence as a weapon was beautiful. Exactly what was needed. Will the line pick it up and not jump uh, with the, with its use and experience? I'm trying to really understand what he meant by that. It, they did have a defensive offside. They got in the game. Um, uh, I, I I agree that you know the quarterbacks that can make a hard count, generally speaking, can be very effective at getting right. some key first downs during the game. I didn't really notice that from Flacco at any point. So I, I, you know, I want to give him credit for this thing that Minion Hunter seems to think he's seeing, and it would be wonderful if he could develop this. Um, I just, I, I don't know that I've seen him. Yeah, really. Minion, Minion but, Hunter is really into the snap count. I think last mm-hmm. week he was pointing out that Justin Tucker's snap count, and now Flacco's snap count. He's really into that part of the football game. That's 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 okay. Everybody's got their thing. I, right. I think Minion Hunter also had some comments from a technical standpoint uh, that oh, he yeah, says I'm lost on that. You lost on that one? Okay. Yeah, I, I do not see that. Um, but I'm glad that he sees it. If it works for him, it works for him. He, he, said, he, was, he was just adding me last night, and he said that, that he had seen – he asked if I Tebow the game, and he had some specific plays where he yep. had this observation. So we can look into that maybe. We will, we will check it out some more and see if uh, he believes that NBC is speeding up their, their frame rate on passes is basically what he, he, he is suggesting. Um, I got one more question from at Josh Soroka, who's really asking about this clock management problem because the Ravens are horrible with clock management from my opinion as a fan and from what I'm watching on TV. It seems like they never have enough timeouts because they're always using timeouts with like 9, 10, 12 minutes left on the clock. For uh, there, is, there certainly is some of that and, and not – not having the command over the huddle to get the team to the line of scrimmage is is a bad thing, and and particularly this often happen after a long pass play, or after some sort of a penalty where the clock is not reset. Manning and Brady always call for the clock to be reset, and they're very upset with the officials when they don't do it properly. But Manning and Brady also could get the could get their players to the line of scrimmage to run a play no huddle. In, in virtually any situation, including right. one where they had to run down the field. In fact, they take advantage of the defense often for not being able to get down there as quick. So plus, plus, there's, plus there's stars in the NFL that get rules changed for, <laughs> for, for how they don't like like football. So they're guys that uh, have, have been known to whine to the refs. There you go. Yeah. So, all right, Ken, uh, you've got this all written up on Russell Street Report right now. So everyone can go on over to Russell Street. Uh, dot com and just look at for film study and that's got all of your write-ins as well as there's a whole we never mentioned but there's a bunch of people that contribute to russell street report and uh great conversations going on over there 
Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend specifically Dev uh, Penchwa and Brian McFarlane as guys who write very, very detailed columns on uh, uh, formations and, and uh, usage and, and Brian in the case of the salary cap, but uh, some excellent stuff over there. Uh, if you want to follow me on tri uh, on Twitter, I am at Film Study Ravens and hashtag Film Study Mailbag if you want to leave questions. Josh, tell them about your show. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Josh Soroka, and my show is Section 336. Uh, you can find it on Section336.com or over at PressBox Online. Um, and we talk a lot of Orioles, some Ravens, but a lot of Orioles. This week's episode, I believe Steve Molesky will be joining us. And we will be talking about the fact that the Orioles have reached out to Chris Tillman and Wade Miley about re-signing them for next year. Oh, my and goodness. And looking into that. So that's uh, at least one of those names is a surprise. So we'll be discussing that. Is it, is it one-year deal or what do you think it would be? I hope, I hope so. Tillman's okay. clearly a one-year deal. He needs to rebuild his, mm -hmm. uh, his worth. Wade Miley... Is, I'm assuming that they looked and there's no other lefties out there that can start mm -hmm. and who knows but we will be talking about that and uh, Steve Molesky also recently wrote up an article about some of the free agent pitchers who are out there that might fall in the Orioles price range so we're going to mm -hmm. talk about that tonight as well no, that sounds like fun So, alright Ken well this is a little strange because we now have six days until the next Ravens game mm -hmm. As they go and play the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee in what is once again another must-win game, another must-win game. So Josh and I, you, you and I'll be back to talk about it probably Monday and Tuesday of next week for the two, the uh, the defense and the offensive line, and then I think we'll do a show next week towards the end of the week or perhaps on the bye week itself where we talk about uh, how players have performed in the first half and how to break down the roster into players who are going to be long-term assets for the team or are here for the short-term only. Yeah. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. So have a good week. We'll talk next week. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.